Well, I suspect that when some of you heard the title of this year's Advent series, uh, The Cost of Christmas, the very first thing that popped to your mind were dollar signs. And honestly, I, I don't blame you because globally this year in 2019, it is uh, estimated that we will spend a, bill, a trillion dollars. That's a T. One trillion dollars. Two thirds of that trillion will be spent by Americans. We will spend $730 billion this year. And that's a 4% increase from last year, which saw like a 3 or 4% increase from the year before and the year before and the year before. I think you have to go back to 2008 for the last time you saw Christmas actually spending go down. We've been going up ever since. That equates to $900 per person in America. Not per household, per person. My family is way under that. So some of you are spending a lot more to bring up this average. So if you want to buy me a Lexus, uh, put a bow on top, go, go right ahead. Most of that $900 is going on credit cards. The average household is putting $1,100 on credit cards, and they do not pay it off until June. It's taking about five months to get accomplished. Which means that the really good Black Friday deal that your neighbor got is actually going to cost them more than if they had just paid full retail price by not putting it on a credit card. You're spending a lot of money on Christmas. And yet that is not the cost we are talking about this series. Now, we are talking about the cost of Christmas in terms of financial in our weekly emails. And so if you have not been opening those up or you, you've not been getting the last couple, you can always go on the Riverwood website to our blog and you can catch up. We're just walking through the four tenets of Advent Conspiracy, seeing how by spending less, we can actually give more. We can give more intentionally. We can give more of our presence. We can give more thoughtfully. And by doing so, we show love to those around us like God showed his love to us. And that then enables us to worship more fully this Christmas. But money is not what we're talking about during this Cost of Christmas series on Sundays. Now, there might be a few of you when you heard the title, The Cost of Christmas, your mind went to time. It, because, I don't know about you, but December seems incredibly chaotic and full. I mean, there is the Christmas decorating. There's the Christmas shopping. There, there's, you know, the Christmas events at, at school. There, there's, you know, uh, the, the wrapping and the baking and the parties and, and traveling and, and everything that comes in December. Uh, I found a 2010 Consumer Reports article. I wish I found a, a more recent one. But they claimed that people would spend about 40 hours just getting ready for Christmas. Uh, 15 hours were going to be spent shopping. Now, again, this is back in 2010. I think there's a little more shopping happening online. I don't know if that means it's gone up or down. But in 2010, they said we would spend 15 hours shopping. Three and a half of those, by the way, would be spent standing in line. Uh, I don't know if they're talking about the DOT or uh, just where, but three and a half hours in line. Another 15 hours was going to be spent uh, just at parties, uh, just going, hanging out with people. Uh, and then another seven and a half hours would be spent traveling. Right? So over 40 hours, like it, Christmas is another part-time job. And that doesn't even include like the baking, the decorating, going to, you know, Christmas pageants or, or concerts or, or, you know, even just worship services. We spend so much time on Christmas. And yet that is not the cost that we are looking at in this series. The cost we are looking at is the cost to follow Jesus. And what we saw two weeks ago, 
through looking at the story of Mary and Joseph is that to follow Jesus might cost you your reputation. And then last week, as we looked at the shepherds, we saw that to follow Jesus might cost you your livelihood. Well, this week, we get even more practical. As we go and we look at the story of the wise men, we're going to discover that it isn't just Christmas that might cost us our money or cost us our time, but that to follow Jesus might cost us our money and cost us our time. In fact, to truly follow Jesus might just cost you all of your resources. And yet, we will see once again that Jesus is worth it. So if you brought a Bible with you today, please open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, I've got it up on the screen. You can read along with us uh, this morning. And we're going to be jumping around to several areas, but we're going to be based in Matthew chapter 2. I've invited Randy and Lori to come and read this morning's passage. So before they read it to us, I want to... Uh, well, you guys can come on up. That's fine. Um, I'm going to uh, open us in prayer just to, for us to prepare our hearts for the reading of the scripture. So, Father, right now, as we turn to your timeless word, help us to see in uh, what you've written, that, that things that were written to record a story, that there's truth there that we need to learn. So, Father, open our hearts and open our ears to what you need to say to us so that we can be the people that you call us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we once again come to a very familiar story. Uh, two weeks ago, as we looked at the story of Gabriel coming to announce to Mary that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. We had to talk about how there are some people who struggle with the validity of the story. You know, they struggle with the idea of angels or the Immaculate Conception. Well, I, I realized this week there might be some people who struggle with the validity of Matthew 2, particularly women, because they might ask themselves, is there really such a thing as a wise man? Okay, you can, you can groan. Uh, that, 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 yeah, don't worry. I, I know I don't have a future in comedy. It's all right. Uh, but... If that is just pretend you, you could go with the name Magi. That, that is the kind of transliterated word from the Greek. It, it talks about a class of people who worked as religious priests, as astronomers, as philosophers. They kind of mixed all of this together to, to determine what the gods were saying or doing around the world. Which means that the song that we sing at Christmas, We Three Kings of Orient Are, is incredibly wrong. Because they were not kings. All right, They were, they were more like priests who studied the stars and that was these men but we also don't really know uh where they came from uh there, there's all sorts of theory oh i'm sorry i'm skipping a, an important uh part that i want to point out these guys because they studied uh all these different religions they also would have studied the jewish religion uh, they also probably would have known about this prophecy from a uh prophet by the name of balaam some of you are familiar with balaam's name uh balaam's donkey uh, Balaam was the guy who uh, was, you know, his donkey was, you know, going the wrong way and he kept striking him. And then the donkey suddenly started talking to him. And I know of a podcast out there called Preaching Donkey. Basically, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. Uh, so it's such a great comfort for me whenever I get up here and preach to know that God can speak through donkeys. Um, but Balaam also was being hired by this evil king who did not like the Israelites to try and prophesy against them. And it didn't work because every time Balaam would get up to try and speak against the Israelites, God would actually then begin to speak through Balaam and Balaam would end up blessing the people. And one of his prophecies that was supposed to be against Israel that actually ended up being for them ended up being a messianic prophecy. And it's this one from Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him. So talking about the Messiah, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Now, I discovered this week that the ancient philosophers, these Magi people in the Middle East, they thought that a star meant a king. To them, it was it was the same. So when they would read a prophecy like this, it wasn't just a star in the heavens. They saw this as a king. And so when this some sort of anomaly appears in the skies and as they start studying it to them, this is an indication that a king has been born. And based on its location, they determine it's been born in Israel. Now, we three kings of Orient are. Well, they're not from the Orient. All we know is they're from the East. There are all sorts of theories about where these Magi have come from. The most popular one is that they came from Persia. Uh, that there was, uh, you know, some indications that, that Persia was the right place. They would have then traveled up uh, kind of towards uh, Babylon, come across, and then dropped down into Israel. Because there's a big desert that would have been right in the way. And so they wouldn't have crossed that. So they would have taken this kind of northerly route to come over to Israel. There's other people who argue that, no, they're actually from Babylon itself. Which, in some ways, is a, a good argument. It makes some sense. Because Babylon, at one time, had been this great empire. And, and unlike some other empires that tried to obliterate other cultures, Babylon loved to assimilate other cultures. So when they had come to Israel and taken the Israelites into exile up to Babylon, they tried to incorporate some of their faith and their, their culture and ways into their culture. And, and so they would have learned about Judaism and wanted to study it. So Babylon probably had a huge library. And also, even though the Israelites had gone back to Israel to reestablish their nation, there probably were some who did not make the trip. So there would have been this you know, kind of enclave of Jews living in Babylon. And so maybe these magi, these wise men, would have gone and interviewed them and gotten to know them and studied their text and would have heard about passages like this out of Numbers 24. But then I also found one scholar who's absolutely convinced that these guys came out of Petra. Some of you might know Petra from the Indiana Jones movies, you know, this rock city. Apparently there was a, a group of these magi-type people who were there to study and learn all about these religions and study the stars. And based on a couple of the gifts, which we'll look here in a, in a couple of minutes, they would have picked those gifts up on these spice routes, these, these trails, and, and therefore brought those then into Jerusalem. But we don't really know. Nor do we know if there were really just three of them. A tradition holds that there were three because of the three gifts. In fact, tradition has even gone so far as to give these three kings names. But we don't know that there were three. We don't know their names. I mean, there could have been four of them. There could have been uh, 12 of them. Now, one of them was named Gaspar, and I think that would be a great name. So if any of you are going to have kids, a little boy, Gaspar, think about it. But the, we don't really know who these guys are or were. But you know what? It, it doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't matter how many there were. It doesn't matter where they were from. It, it more matters of what they did. First thing they did when they saw the star and they traveled great distance is they came to Jerusalem. That, that, that makes total sense. Because if you're going to look for a newborn king, you, you go to the capital city. I mean, typically kings are born into the line of kings. And so they would assume that there's some sort of king in Jerusalem his family's just had a son, and so they're coming to celebrate, to give a gift. The problem was, when the, the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, they're like, hey, where's your king? We've got to tell him there's a newborn king. Herod and Jerusalem had never heard the news. Now, we need to take a little aside, and we need to go talk about Herod. Uh, there are several Herods mentioned throughout the scriptures. 
This Herod was known as Herod the Great or Herod the First. The reason he's called Herod the Great is because he was a great builder, I, I, like a master builder. I, he, this guy built theaters and palaces and fortresses. He even built entire cities. Now, most of it he built to make him look really great, but to also make sure that people really liked him and that they wanted to keep him around, he also built the Jews a temple in Jerusalem. This is why he gets called Herod the Great. But as great of a builder as he was, he wasn't so great in his mental capacity. The guy was insane. See, he took this idea of being a king seriously. But he shouldn't have. It, it, it was a joke. He, he wasn't even Jewish. He was an Edomite. And the Roman Empire is existing at this time, and they have put him in place. So he doesn't really have a throne, but he's convinced himself otherwise. He fancies himself a king, which means he has to protect his throne. And the older he got, the more crazy he got. And the more concerned he was that people were trying to overthrow him. And anyone who would try to overthrow him, he would make sure that they would get killed. Which meant, Herod killed a wife, he killed several sons, he killed other relatives, and he would kill any servant or a court official that he thought was working with some of his potential usurpers. He was crazy. So when these wise men show up in Jerusalem, saying, hey, we're here to welcome the newborn king. Herod freaks. He panics. And then he hears that, that, that what announced this newborn king was a star. Okay, like, normal kings don't just get a star showing up in the heavens announcing their birth. That means this king is really special. Something's really different. Now, Herod may not have been a Jew, but because he lives in Israel and reigns there, He's very familiar with Judaism, and he's heard the whispers. He knows there's supposed to be some sort of Messiah who's going to come and free the people. So to hear that there's a star announcing the birth of a king, he assumes, oh no, it's the Messiah. I'm in deep, deep trouble. So he calls together the, the Jewish scholars and says, all right, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They immediately quote Micah 5.2, which you heard read there. But I want to read you a little more of Micah let me start Micah 5. We're going to go through 2 down into the first part of verse 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, you, uh, sorry, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. So Herod now hears that this Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So he calls the wise men to him and says, All right, guys, you're not going to believe this. This newborn king is supposedly just was born six miles south of here. So all you need to do is ju jump on that road, head six miles south, and go check it out. And, and please, when you go, if you find this Messiah, this newborn king, would, would you come back and tell me? Because I too would like to go and worship him. And that was an absolute lie, unless you call driving a sword through a child an act of worship, which maybe for Herod it kind of was. You see, Herod wants to find out if this child's here so we can kill him to protect his throne. How do we know? Because if, if Randy and Lori had kept reading, you would hear that when the, because uh, you heard in verse 12 that the uh, 
uh, wise men ended up being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they take off on a different route. Herod realizes he gets tricked. And so he sends his soldiers down to Bethlehem and kills all of the little boys two years old and younger because he's trying to protect his throne. So the wise men get ready. They load up, whether on camels or, or donkeys or horses or just walking on feet. They start to head out and they see the star again. And they get excited. It's back. And they follow it. And then somehow, we don't understand how, somehow the star stops over a house. Now, you've got to get rid of any notion of the nice little nativity scene. You know, you got Joseph character there. Mary's on her knees. And there's baby Jesus in his, you know, thing glowing. And you've got the dirty shepherds holding their, their sheep. And then you've got these ornately dressed kings on the other side holding these things. Now, they weren't even there. This is taking place a year, maybe even two years after the birth of Jesus. Some scholars believe that the star shown, began to show the night that Jesus was born. And so it took these guys, if they're coming from Persia, a year to travel and get there for going by foot or by camel. So they come to a house. And they knock on the door. And I'm going to assume it's evening because Joseph answers the door. And they suddenly hear Joseph looking and these non-Jewish men dressed really funny in an accent. They ask, is the newborn king here? Can't help but think Joseph's like, what? But after his own dream, after, you know, the shepherd showing up, hearing about angels, maybe things aren't catching him quite by surprise. So he lets them in. And these wise men walk in and there is Mary with this little one-year-old child. The text does not say infant. It says child. Jesus is probably about one years old. And there he is sitting on his mom's lap. And I want you to imagine that moment. These guys have spent years, if not decades, studying the stars, these prophecies, these religious texts. They've now traveled a great distance. They've come into Jerusalem where all these confusing events take place. There, no one knows about this king. And they're thinking, how can you not know? Like, it's right there. The stars are, you know, declaring it. And, and this Herod guy just seems a little funny. And now they're supposed to go to this small town. But the star leads them there and directs them to this house. And now here he is. Have you ever longed for something? Like, like maybe, maybe you longed to get married someday. Maybe what you dreamt of having was a child. Maybe it was a particular job and you wanted everything to have that job. Maybe it was just simply like to see your favorite band in concert. And so you work hard. You do everything you can to save money, to, to study, to, to get yourself ready. And after all of the work, all of the longing, all of the dreaming, all of the praying, suddenly reality, I mean, the dream becomes reality. And in that moment, there is joy, but there's also brokenness. Like, you can't help but start to cry because the dream has become real. Uh, last night, uh, we, my uh, sons and I watched the Heisman Trophy Award. And this year, the winner was uh, Joe Burrow, the quarterback for the uh, LSU Tigers. But to understand why it was significant for Joe to win, and he won in a record-setting fashion, Joe, you had to know some of Joe's story. Joe came out of a small town in, in Southwest Ohio. and Well, actually, he was born in Ames, Iowa, by the way, so we can claim some ownership of Joe. Uh, but, but he ends up moving uh, to Southwest Ohio, grows up his whole life there, gets recruited by Ohio State, and then his freshman year gets injured. And he drops way down 
on the depth chart to where he's going to be third, fourth string. Ohio State's continuing to recruit in these amazing quarterbacks. And Joe's starting to fear he's never going to get to play. And so after a, a medical redshirt, he decides to look for another school to transfer to. In fact, he looked at Iowa State. They just hired Matt Campbell. Dad had roots in Ames that, you know, they coached football there at Ames High. And then all of a sudden, LSU comes along and offers him a scholarship. So he goes down. And they took a chance on him. And now, as a fifth-year senior, he's led LSU to be the number one ranked team. They're in the playoffs. And he just became the Heisman Trophy winner, the 85th winner, by a record-setting margin. And as Joe went and thanked certain people, you know, shaking their hands, giving them hugs, he then finally walks on stage. They tell him to lift his trophy. So he lifts it up, holds it for the camera, sets it down. He walks over to the podium, reaches in his suit coat, pulls out a, uh, an envelope, pulls out his speech. And right as he gets ready to talk... He starts to cry. His throat was choked. His eyes are watering. And the place erupts in applause. Because he had longed for this moment since he was a little kid. And after all he had been through, he is now at the culmination. And he has intense joy, but he's incredibly broken at the same time. That's what's going on with these wise men. There is incredible joy to see this child who's long been prophesied for thousands of years. They've studied the stars. They finally see one that leads them and guides them to this place in this moment. And as much as they're bursting forth with joy, I can't help but think there's also not just this humbleness that they get to be in this holy moment as these non-Jews for the Jewish God to let them get to be here. And so they fall on their knees and they begin worship but in their worship they don't just say thanks to god and maybe say all these words to baby jesus they give gifts the first gift that they give was gold many people point out that this is a kingly gift kings would try to amass as much gold as they could into their treasury because they needed to fund armies and so this is a kingly gift now, you need to realize Mary and Joseph were incredibly poor. I mean, really, really poor. Here's how poor they were. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, we read how when, when Jesus was eight days old, they did what Jewish custom told them to do. You take your newborn son to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord and circumcised, especially when it's your firstborn. And so that's exactly what they did. They take baby Jesus there to be circumcised. But while there, they also go through the purification ritual for Mary. After a woman gave birth, she was considered ritually unclean. And so she's going to go through this little ritual. Well, the payment for this was a lamb. So she's supposed to buy a lamb and have this lamb sacrificed. But she couldn't afford it. Leviticus 12.8 gave a little loophole for anyone who's too poor to afford to give up a lamb. And that was to purchase two turtle doves or two pigeons. And that's what Mary and Joseph had to do. They were so incredibly poor. So can you imagine what their facial response was when they see this gold put before their child. Like, this was the most expensive thing they'd probably ever seen, let alone now own. But the timing was absolutely perfect. If you remember, Herod is going to come down to Bethlehem and kill all of the two-year-olds. And so God is going to warn Joseph in a dream to flee Bethlehem and head to Egypt. But they were going to have to live as refugees for about two years. And that gold probably helped to pay and provide for them during their time in Egypt before they came back to Israel. This was a kingly gift given at the right time. 
Second gift that was pushed before the child was frankincense. The frankincense was a type of incense that was used in worship. So many people point out that this is a priestly gift. It, just as the priest helps to bring the people to God so that they could worship him, Jesus was going to do the same. He was going to create the way for people to come and connect with their God, with their creator, so that they could worship him in, in grace and truth. So Jesus, he's a king, he's a priest, and, and I can't help but wonder if these uh, wise men didn't give these gifts intentionally, that perhaps they were familiar with Isaiah chapter 60. Let me start in verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. So, so uh, Isaiah is, is prophesying about the future glory of Israel. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Maybe these guys knew this verse and so they thought, well, we've got to bring gold and frankincense because this is like the, the blessing of Israel. This is for their future glory. Or maybe they had no idea this was here and God knew what they were going to bring. So we talked about it 600 years before the birth of Jesus. But they weren't done. There was a third gift. The, the first gift probably caused Joseph and Mary to gasp in astonishment. The second gift probably made them raise an eyebrow. Like, that's a really curious gift to give at a baby shower. But the third gift probably cut them to the heart. I can't help but wonder if that moment, if, if Mary didn't tear up, if, if perhaps Joseph didn't get choked up. Because you see, myrrh, the third gift, was used in the embalming of a body when someone died. Now, we all know everyone dies. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for maybe, you know, a household to have some myrrh there in case someone does die, and then you can do this embalming process. But here's a one-year-old, so full of life, who, whose parents have been told through an angel and through a dream that he's going to free the people from their sin. He's going to assume the throne of David. He is going to give people true life. And yet here's a gift that's talking about his death. You see, for us to truly have Christmas, we have to remember Good Friday. Like, the manger is absolutely meaningless without the cross. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, his birth is just another birth. I mean, Jesus could have gone on and lived a great life, inspired countless people, could have done great teaching. But without the death and resurrection, he would have just been another famous person. What separates him from all of history, from all of the greatest leaders who have ever lived, is his death and resurrection. And that is why his birth was so significant. He was God made into flesh. And he was going to go and live a sinless life and yet go and die a sinner's death. See, Jesus was not the type of king who expected the people to give their life for him and for country. He was the king who was going to give his life for everyone else. He wasn't the priest who told people to bring their sacrifices so that they could worship God. No, he was the priest who was going to become the sacrifice so that people could worship God. And so that third gift was an indication of the type of death he was going to die. 
this baby was born so that he would go and die. There's another thing we need to realize about these gifts. That these gifts were expensive. They were lavish. I just, I struggle to think that after all the years of study that these magi did, after all the, the months of travel that they must have done, that they would walk into this house and just drop a couple of gold rings into Joseph's hand. You know, to give a little bag of incense, you know, to, to Mary. You know, they saw it on Pinterest. It looked really cute. You know, to, to get fashioned together a little myrrh ball for baby Jesus to play with. Like it, no, no, like these are expensive. These are lavish. I mean, they are meeting the one who's been prophesied for thousands of years. They've seen his star. They've made all this distance. And now they get to be in his presence. And they're not going to give just a pittance. They're going to give their best. They are going to give a chunk of gold. They're going to give a huge bag of incense. They're going to give enough myrrh that it would embalm the entire body. These were not cheap. This was lavish. That's the cost of Christmas. It costs these guys so much. And if you claim to be a Jesus follower, it's also going to cost you your resources as well. Throughout 2019, we did a series called The Everyday Gospel. We did several different editions of that series. And in August, we did the money edition. In week one of that series, we talked about the theological concept of stewardship. Basically, the idea is that in stewardship, everything belongs to God. It's, it's all his. Like, even the, the, your children, those of you who are parents, I mean, you can look at your child and you can see certain things about yourself in them and go like, wow, they, they bear my likeness, my image. And yet, deeper in them is the image of God. <laughs> like, they are truly God. Like, they, they will grow up and they will leave your house. They're not yours. And the same goes with your possessions, your finances, your job, everything in life. It's actually his. And all he does is he entrusts it to us. And so how wrong for us to take these possessions, hold them in for ourselves, and then kind of look at God like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. Here, here's a couple of gold coins. Here, here's, a, here's a small bag. Uh, but but I, I need this. I, I, God, I've got bills to pay. I'm trying to save for retirement. I, you know, I, I've got all these things going on. So I, I, I need to keep this for myself. And, and not only did the wise men give lavishly in their gifts, they also gave lavishly of their time. If it's true that this star shone the night Jesus was born, and then it takes them a year to get there, then it would probably take them a year to get back. So that's two years of their life that they have given away just to spend one evening with the Christ child. He was so worth it, but he was worth all the time. They, they, they left their home, their families, their culture, their, their ways to come and see this child. They gave so much time. That's why at Riverwood, when we talk about giving, it isn't just money. We talk about giving your fist, your finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. These things that we so often want to hold on to, to keep for ourselves. But if we're truly going to follow Jesus, it means that sometimes we have to sacrifice them. We've got to open up our hands and surrender them and say, God, my time is yours. Do with my calendar what you want. God, my, my finances are yours. I, 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 God, I'm honored that you would let me keep 90% because it, it was yours to begin with. If you wanted, you could ask for 100%. The fact that you're saying, 
you want me to give 10% and I get to keep 90? God, you are so generous. That, that my, my influence or, or the talents that I have, that, that God's saying, I want you to give that to be a blessing. I didn't give it to you so that you could be just happy and feel good about yourself. I want you to give all of you, give your heart, give your time, give your influence, give all of it to be a blessing to those around. Because that's exactly what Jesus himself did. Jesus himself was sitting on a throne in heaven, the son of God, and he left it to take on human flesh, to be born as a baby to a poor couple, to live in the painful world that we are in, to go through all of the struggle that we have gone through, relational issues, knowing hunger, knowing pain, and yet through it all, he did not sin. And yet he loved us so much. He loved the world that he went willingly to a cross and he gave it willingly, lavishly, joyfully, sacrificially. And now for us to follow him, to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, means we take the resources that we have and we open them up and say, God, I sacrifice it. I give it because it's yours. Do with me what you will.